You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the Business of Cannabis. I'm Dave Sky, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Cook. If you have an interest in the sale and marketing of cannabis, if you're interested in learning about the technologies transforming this industry, if you're interested in gaining an understanding in the operational challenges facing cannabis retailers, well, basically, if you're interested in creating value and profit through cannabis, you turn into the right show. Uh, today, we are speaking to Laura Bradley, who's the owner of The Bend and Behind the Bend. The Bend is the dis- dispensary, and I'll, I'll let you guess where Behind the Bend is. Uh, now, Behind the Bend, it's interesting because it's one of Canada's first cannabis lounges that popped up this summer, and we'll get into why Laura uh, did it and how she sees the lounge business uh, developing. Uh, then we'll uh, next speak to Art Stewart, a longtime management and growth consultant in the cannabis space, and we'll be picking his brain about the current and future state of the cannabis retail industry and what he believes cannabis executives need to do to be successful. Again, this is Dave Sky, along with Matt Cook, and this is the business of cannabis. <laughs> So welcome to the business of cannabis, Dave Sky here with Matt Cook as always. Um, and our first, uh, we're excited about our first guest, uh, it's Laura Bradley of uh, the Bend uh, and Behind the Bend uh, Cannabis, a, uh, a dispensary and also a cannabis consumption lounge. Um, Laura uh, has an interesting background. Uh, she was in management in the licensed cannabis uh, industry. Um, and is a rather brave entrepreneur. And she opened up her dispensary during COVID. So we're going to talk about that. Wow. Um, first licensed dispensary in Grand Bend. Um, and has a second location that she's just franchised in downtown uh, Toronto. Uh, and is looking to open up uh, more cafes. So, uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome. So let's uh, let's just start off in a general. Uh, you know, everyone has an interesting story. How how did you how did you end up becoming a sort of a, a cannabis entrepreneur, and and then why Grand Bend? Yeah, well, um, 
I've always been a cannabis enthusiast uh, for for medical and recreational reasons, and um, I followed the industry closely. I was with a licensed producer before um, my current role, so um, I was very in tune with what was going on and how the retail was going to be rolling out. So um, once I found out about the lottery system, I entered both lotteries. I lost, um, unfortunately, both of them, but um, then they they launched the applications open for everybody. And I was one of the ones at 115959 <laughs> ready to put my app in. Okay. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been, a, a dream ever since but I decided to go into retail I've always wanted to to own my own business I never really thought it would be um um retail because we didn't know this was was going to be here but it all fit um with my interests my passions where it was going the um the uh the ability to connect with people in an area that I'm experienced um so it's it's been great and and the, and Grand Bend is that just sort of where you live that was your uh, you want to do local yeah, or is that an yeah. opportunity grand bend um i frequented growing up you know I, I grew up in sort of the london area for a portion of my childhood so it was um i know the summer crowd i know how busy it gets i know the foot traffic there and it was one of the last corners of ontario that wasn't already saturated <laughs> Right. For our uh, American right. listeners, we're talking yes. uh, London, Ontario, <laughs> which is about two hours west of Toronto. Uh, Grand Bend just being a little further than that. A nice little place you should all visit. <laughs> Absolutely. It's nice a little uh, town, summer town, community. little beach town. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yep. So tell us a bit. Uh, I'm very intrigued with this idea of uh, canvas lounges. Um, I know you opened one. And what was that experience like? What, did, what hoops did you have to go through? Um, and how do you see it developing? Because it's a huge issue, which is, you know, how do, how do, how do people interested in cannabis, uh, you know, associate with each other without it being still kind of in the house or back alley stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, the main thing that pushed me was... Um, my clients, my clients were really looking for a safe space to consume. And, um, I'm a, I'm a, the type of person that will go above and beyond no matter, do whatever I can for the clients. So it started with that. And then exploring the options in Grand Bend, we're a tourist destination area. Um, but not just adults, there's families, there's children. So just trying to find ways to be respectful of, of the, the families and the children that are around and, and creating that space for for my clients but the uh there the rules once i looked into it there there are no rules for for it and i realized how much of a problem this is um you know where they kept doubling the issuances of licenses in ontario but um we weren't addressing these other things how are we dealing with intoxication and um transportation and how are we dealing with socialization in in public environments and so mm -hmm. these kinds of questions haven't been answered yet and i think the way to get them to the you know we've been dealing with so many things covid there's there's a lot of priorities that you could argue would fall um ahead of this but um in the end we're talking about safety for our clients and and that's a priority for us so i went ahead i made sure i followed all the rules that do exist for smoke free ontario act for alcohol and gaming commission for um you know all the municipality governing bodies 
and um, I kind of went ahead I would say without necessarily asking for permission I, I just <laughs> was, that's the best way to do it yeah. wanted to Sometimes, be smart yeah. about it and yeah. I think the goal was to represent the way it can be done responsibly and push other people to do it uh, and follow suit because you know we really can drive the conversation that way and uh, I think the com- the more this is being talked about uh, the faster the rules are going to get written. So, you take us through then. Okay, uh, I'm assuming you're not selling cannabis in a, in the lounge, or am I wrong? Correct. And Correct. so this is a, a safe space. Are you selling alcohol? A place there? where people can just consume. Correct. There's yeah. no alcohol. Okay. Uh, we have enough bars in in Cramp Bend where they can easily just slip out and grab grab a drink somewhere. Um, I foresee that if we will get consumption lounge licenses i doubt it will come immediately with a liquor license so i was being cautious that way just trying to anticipate some of the concerns Um, we don't necessarily have a grip on how everybody is going to um, react when they're consuming both alcohol and cannabis so our our licensing programs, our smart serve, our can sell for our employees are not designed to to meet these needs. So we've had to put in some of our own um, as on on top of those licenses. But this is the type of conversation we need to drive so that somebody can write the rules and we don't have to be the ones guessing and, and pushing the, the limits. So walk us through what the experience is like in one of your lounges like in, in your lounge, um, you know, what can people expect? Um, you know, who should be coming, you know, give us a, a bit of a, 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 you know, a background on that. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had legacy lounges in Ontario for years. Um, they, I've, I've frequented some in London and Toronto and Hamilton and, um, it's, they were wonderful and they were really blazing the trail for for this to come but I really wanted to drive a space that was going to be much more similar to a restaurant an alcohol environment where Mm -hmm. people who don't consume cannabis still feel like they want to come socialize in this environment Um, and so my cafe is um, exactly that that's the atmosphere trying to be a little bit um uh, a little bit higher end, I guess you could say. Uh, welcoming for everybody. You can bring some outside food. We encourage you to purchase it from, obviously, our um, food stall. But um, uh, you just need a government-issued ID, um, receipt for any product that you wish to consume, and it should still have its excise stamp sealed. Um, and then, yeah, we have um, games and um all of the tools to to roll and and grind up your your flour we have a fire pit so after 10 p.m on thursdays fridays and saturdays we put on a fire and if i'm i'm there i'm usually roasting s'mores for people just just having nice. fun um, nice. we have music playing we have lots of events so we did movie night um it's really trying to drive a, a community environment in there and give the um regular consumers um all of the things that you would get kind of in 
um, other social environments where this one you could consume cannabis. So mm-hmm. movies, we do a night market the last um, Wednesday of every month. Um, there's Dreamcat. We did a build your own Dreamcatcher event. We were doing um, up uh, upcycle your your jars and things like that. So just really trying to to create activities that would normally be. Um, in in other venues where you would drink alcohol or, yeah. or not, like um, a like a pub environment type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so do you, do you find that um, you know the people that are coming are it, it's more recreational or is it medicinal or a combination of both? Um, you know, in Grand Bend, I've seen we have a large tourist community, but we also have a large retirement community. Um, so it's actually proven to be a, a great space for any of our clients that are um, con- new consumers and mm-hmm. they are looking for a little bit of handholding. So sometimes we've seen, you know, oh, I haven't tried that. Do you mind if I go in the cafe? And then we have people there who are experienced and can make you feel safe and can walk you mm-hmm. through it and um, really help with some dosing. Sometimes we have some elderly um, people who have trouble dosing the oils by themselves so they feel comfortable in a safe environment but then you know after hours we get the recreational that are either on their way to the bar or um sometimes coming back there um (laughs) i purposely close early on the weekends uh before last call to avoid any double intoxication (laughs) yeah that makes sense problems where they happen you know this is so interesting because It's all about, you know, everyone's focusing on two things, the grow and the, not everyone. There's focusing on the growing and the, the, the purchasing, the dispensary. Yet this could be such a lucrative area, which is the experience. Mm-hmm. While dispensaries yeah. are focused a lot on creating an experience. Yeah, but at the same time, sure, I'm walking in. You can create a good experience for me, but it's still a very... A business experience. I walk in, I buy my products. It's, transa- it's transaction. It's a transaction yeah. as opposed yeah. to selling food, as opposed to selling food, mm-hmm. like a restaurant, like actual. Um, right. And and this might be where my actual heart would be. It's my lounge that I'm going to be loyal to. Right, right. Absolutely. Your local pub. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, exactly. Or, or pubs. I might have two or three locations. What do you want to do this week? Well, you know, let's go to grand band let's go to behind the bend and we'll chill out for a bit and or or at the end of the night and yeah, then maybe yeah. there's food i can or trust it you know, or live, yeah. amazing uh and it can go in but each one of those things is a big ask uh, i mean having live music is not easy either it's an it's a business that's a separate skill set if i if i if you think ahead a year or two and let's assume there's no impediment to doing it what would be your dream cafe would it be food oriented would it be entertainment oriented um a bit of both what what are your thoughts on that well (laughs) too big a question without without (laughs) giving away the direction that i'd like to head um this is uh you know we need this and what i think everything that we see here is is in suit of what's happening out west and what's happening in california what's happening in denver you know we're in amsterdam there's and if we follow that trend, California, like they're all, it's coming. <laughs> they exist. Yeah. You know, this is the next step. 
So I would love to see a place where we could get, you know, even my close family members questioned me when I said I'm going to be offering fresh high-end food and not deep fried affair. And they said, but but people who smoke weed don't want to eat that food. Oh, yeah, just want donuts. How can we not cater to the people who are consuming something that might increase their appetite? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I would love to see some fine dining restaurants. I would love to see some mm-hmm. um, um, uh, hotel spaces or motel spaces mm-hmm. where people can start traveling and and feel comfortable going to a place and and not having to necessarily like go to a smoking room you know what i mean yeah um or in the parking lot and at the convention where you're going to be meeting with you know so um these options need to come and i would love to see them and be in normalized you know we're, we're talking here with Laura Bradley uh from uh, the Bend Cannabis Company and uh behind the bend uh, behind the bend is the uh, is the lounge brand. Um, and we've been discussing uh, opening up lounges and what's um, and and how that's going to develop uh, across North America. It sounds like, and some of the some of the decisions you're going to have to make in terms of what type of experience you want to bring to people. Um, let me uh, change uh, tracks a little bit and go back to your opening that dispensary. Uh, take us through that experience and tell me. You know, were there some mistakes you made um, and and what are the things you think you did really well in terms of some advice, you know, people listening, going, yeah, a dispensary. Maybe I want to get involved in that. If I can make you think back a whole year, (laughs) a year and a half. It's it's been a whirlwind of a year. Um, The retail side was... um, very exciting again because I it was a dis- disappointment with the lottery system. What happened with the lottery system was you were you were people to enter the lottery, you were securing your properties. So as soon as they canceled the lotteries, everybody who had already secured properties jumped right in and put their applications in. And everybody believed that, well, and why shouldn't they? You know, my brand is gonna win, my my strategy is gonna win. Um so when I, by the time I got licensed, um, I was thankful that I was the, f- the first one in the county. And so I had um, not just Grand Bend, but surrounding cities and populations driving into Grand Bend to, to visit us. Um, it was a long process. Um, you have to be well-funded to, to make it through that process. And um, it seemed like it's been a lot quicker now because they've they've put on more employees and they're licensing quicker and all of those things. But for me, yeah, it was a long process to get licensed. And then by the time we did, it was the the shutdown and the lockdowns. So, um, it, we, we dealt with it, um, pretty well. I think the, we were man, we were able to house less staff because of the lockdowns and not have anybody complain about that. Um, but it allowed us to curate these uh, relationships with the community in a in a level that I don't think we would have if there wasn't the lockdown. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think forcing you to slow down and actually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And Deal with your customers. <laughs> which no We were so focused on on there's no history. There's nothing to base it off. You know, we're not opening an LCBO and the one in Grand Bend for the last year sold more spirits than it did wine there. So it was really, um, 
really getting to understand who our client base was, uh, which was able to carry us through and why we have such great inventory options for them. They and and we turn our inventory very well. Um, we do take requests for them, um, and if we don't, we recommend products that are usually in the craft. We we try like to focus in the craft area. Is that becoming a bigger and bigger part of your business? The the I don't want to say luxury uh, side, but more of the craft boutique product. Mm -hmm. Or um, do you find from, it? Yeah. Yeah, I come from the corporate um, licensed producer world, and um, as a as a consumer myself, I prefer higher end. Um, hand trimmed hand you know cured properly um product so i personally have been shopping the craft and there's more and more options coming out now it's really great the frustrating part is that the brands we are limited to purchasing through the ocs so some of our brands our favorite brands have five or six strains that are available coast to coast, but we can only access two or three of them because that's what the OCS has chosen to, to offer to us. So that's been a little mm. frustrating. Um, they are, you know, working with us and they are listening. Um, I, there's, there's pilot programs on where we can um, start to work out these kinks, but um, yeah, being a part of that has been um, some growing pains. And I think that we've responded really well. I think that we've, um, by by being in tune with our community and our clients and really understanding their needs, we've been able to overcome a lot of these challenges. So on the product side, where do you see things going over the next, you know, year, maybe 18 months? Uh, I hope it goes craft. I hope it goes um, a lot more uh, product strain offerings you know product offerings um mm -hmm. we're, we're really looking to support the the small family businesses now um they just have there's so much passion in this community and i really just want to support the the passionate people in this community mm -hmm. and when you get the passion you see it right down through the sales through the product through the packaging through the customers and the clients come back again and again more than you know over the moon and it's there is always going to be a place for value brands because not everybody can afford to spend that yeah, much money every of course. day yep. but it's uh it's that it's with the craft brands that you get the the better experiences with the clients because you're giving them a treat, you know, it's a special occasion or this. And when you can connect on them in those occasions, that's where you're really, it's so rewarding. And I think if we can push that area, then it's, it's going to be wondrous for the, the craft community and how that's going to grow in this mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. That's one of the great questions, isn't it? In this business of the, you know, is it going to be an alcohol experience? But that took where it's dominated by a few companies. But I mean, that took almost 100 years to happen. Yeah. So there's a <laughs> long time. And but it's a different product. It's not the same economies of scale, necessarily. Yeah. Um, right. That, you know, uh, uh, there's one thing to make champagne or scotch or wine. It's another thing to produce in a quality way, an interesting product. Um yeah, lots to talk about. Well, uh, we've this has been talking to Laura Bradley, um, 
and check them out at www.thebendcannabis.ca if you want to check out their story. Um, and if you're in Grand Brand, uh, I encourage you to go uh, give Laura a visit and, and check out her dispensary and her lounge. Um, this has been very interesting. We're, we're going to have to uh, uh, come back and, and see how you're doing. Um, yeah, for sure. The lounge story is such a fascinating one. And I know we, it's just the beginning of it here in Ontario and across North America. Some, some jurisdictions may be being a bit ahead. Yeah, well, we, yeah, next time you're in the area, I would love to host you and uh, uh, give me a heads up and I'll, I'll make some delicious snacks. <laughs> Sounds Amazing. good. Yeah, some fried, <laughs> yeah, but better not be fried. <laughs> yeah. I wanna, yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank was, you, Laura. Yeah, Laura Bradley. Thank you for having me. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services. Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash. Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services. Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash. Welcome back to the Business of Cannabis. Uh, our next guest, we're um, going to delve into uh, some uh, future gazing uh, of the state of the industry uh, in the retail cannabis space. Um, in one guise or another, uh, Art Stewart has been at the vanguard of executive C-level uh, managing consulting um, with a focus on growth and business transformation. Uh, currently, he's the managing partner at Strategic Impact Partners which is a Boston-based firm. And uh, while Strategic Impact services a wide range of clientele, Art has recently shifted attention and resources to the cannabis industry, uh, of course, which is why we're eager to chat today. Art, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Glad to be here. Welcome. Hey, Matt. Hey, Dave. So I'm gonna, usually we like to start off with a softball question, but I'm not going to this time. I'm going to uh, put you on the spot <laughs> right away. You know, Hardball, uh, right? Right, right off the, the bat, yeah. Bring it on. Usually, we just say, "Hey, you know, like how you get to cannabis." How Bring does a, how does a dispensary, either a rack or medicinal, differentiate itself in an increasingly increasingly crowded market? I was just commenting to Matt the other day. Uh, uh, I, I'm here in Toronto, and in one of the sort of trendier areas, uh, in one in one block, there are three dispensaries. Two of them are beside each other. So what kind of advice, what, what, what do you do? That's a good question. I mean, you know, we're, we're focused most of our work on the retail side, and we consult across the value chain with MSOs and brand uh, manufacturers and other kinds of uh, 
ancillary companies to the cannabis industry, but we've been focused lately on retail clients because of our epicenter being in Boston. And as you know, Massachusetts is one of the most hot uh, of, the, mm -hmm. of the US state markets these days um, for a whole range of reasons, uh, not the least being that it's got the most new customer churn on an annual basis because of the university and college industry mm -hmm. than any yep. other market in the country. Uh, to say nothing also of the affluence and the wealth and the sophistication, it's a smart economy city. It's a top smart economy city uh, like uh, those around Silicon Valley and Chicago and Texas and uh, North Carolina and some other emerging markets. But I think we're dealing with different circumstances than a lot of the other state markets that are coming online now or even some of the more mature markets that that don't have all of those particular kind of characteristics. But to answer your question, Dave, I think we are definitely as an industry and in cannabis moving from the MSO um, infiltration play, if you will, of uh, you know establishing <clears throat> leadership in state market by state market with local footprints to a brand play. And what what does that mean? Well, from our perspective, I think what it means is that. There are emerging brands uh, that are have been producing great portfolios of product uh, in their or, their state markets of origin. They've reached um, their potential cap in those uh, markets of origin, and they're now ready, like the MSOs were a few years ago, to do national plays and to bring those customer relationships and that uh, brand affinity to new state markets. So the industry as a whole, we think, is changing and shifting. Because the other thing, too, that's happening in Massachusetts is that most of the MSOs that want to get a footprint in Massachusetts are now here, right? They've come in. They've acquired distressed assets. They've helped in a partnership with some of the local um, entrepreneurs and, and uh, early stage teams to stand up those local businesses and in some kind of configuration, a JV or, a JV or, or an actual roll-up, they've established their footprints. So now we're looking at how do all of these different companies um, you know, with competing locations begin to build a deeper sense of customer loyalty and that gets to your question, you know, and I think it's a grassroots thing. I think you got to start with managing to, to full optimization, the end-to-end -end experience operationally and customer experience-wise of each local store. And if you do that well and you create a unique channel of repeat customers and deeper loyalty, then you can begin to attract uh, some of the national brands that are trying to get into your market. And that's what we're doing with clients in Massachusetts right now, while you simultaneously, assuming you're a vertical, a vertically integrated business, or you have a good, you know, sourcing right, set of sourcing yeah. relationships with, with flower producers that you, you, you create your own brand portfolio along with that so that you can, grow the diversity of the identity of your unique brand with the customers because you can't you're not going to be able to compete on location alone i mean as you mentioned i mean you know there's going to be stores everywhere and we have a way we have a distance to go in massachusetts before we have saturation anyhow we're, so we're getting me, there yeah let me uh 
one more one more follow-up question, hardball follow-up question. So I'm hearing a, a slight dichotomy, and it's it's an interesting thing you brought up. So uh, you're saying to a dispensary, you have to create this connection to your client, and that's going customer, and that's going to to be some sort of grassroots real connection at the local level, store customer experience. Yet at the same time, you're talking about that there's a value in having this brand. It's kind of, you, how do you have both at the same time? When I go to McDonald's, yeah, that's a national brand and I know what to expect. Is that what you mean? I'm going to create, it's, it's hard to create a local experience and at the same time, create a, a brand experience. You're right. You're right. And, um, but that's what you got to do because um, the customer, look, customers on the local level, when they want to purchase a, a cannabis product at a retail outlet are driven by a whole bunch of different reasons that they go to one dispensary over another. I mean, convenience might be one, um, hours of operation, um, all kinds of other things, but particularly product and pricing. And so how do you get them seduced into your location and your dispensary if you're not driving product quality, if you're not driving seduction around having the best products in all the different categories and uh, you know, competing on pricing and specials? And then I think also uh, creating an experience in that purchasing process. When they come to your dispensary, is it unique? Is the actual interaction and um, the whole visit uh, aligned with the values of the products they're actually going to experience that they purchase at your retailer? Mm -hmm. Okay, ask, yeah, ask a tougher it, question, it, Matt, that we're, we're going to have to upscale this. No, no, it's, it, it, I mean, it's like, why do people line up for um, the latest iPhone? Right. Yeah. Because um, Apple has created this experience. Um, and, you know, going back to, um, I think it's Simon Sinek, uh, start with why. Right. And, uh, you know, I think if, you know, dispensaries actually start with that premise and work their way back, um, they're going to have more success than companies that just open uh, or put a shingle up and, and say, you know, sure. we're open for business, right? Yeah, I yeah. think, you know, it's it's a matter of being knowledgeable. So your yep. interactions with a bud tender, that bud tender can be spontaneous, but knowledgeable mm -hmm. in their mm -hmm. interactions with the customer. When there's questions, I mean, people come into rec uh, retailers uh, with health issues, healthcare issues um, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not uh, germane to uh, only the medical dispensaries. And, you know, so if you've got uh, folks that are serving customers that are knowledgeable, that can have a, um, an informative conversation, uh, you know, that enables their customer base to get smarter about their cannabis consumption, smarter customers about consumption will become customers that will experience, that will experiment with a wider range of different delivery systems. You know, maybe you were a roll, yeah. you know, a roll-up person. And if you encounter a bud tender on one visit that talks about the efficiencies and the discretion of 
using a vape as opposed to a, you know smoking mm-hmm. a joint, you might convert or you might widen your palate, so to speak. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there's one example I think th- that plays into this, which is we are currently working with a very <clears throat> unique economic empowerment and social equity client in Boston who is about to, uh, in the next couple of quarters, uh, launch uh, stores two and three in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They launched their first store in Metro Boston. Uh, last year, and it's performing very well. And this particular economic empowerment uh, company is drawing on their cultural heritage of one of the owner's uh, previous businesses, which was a um, a highly reputable and uh, well-known uh, music entertainment club uh, in Cambridge, mm. Massachusetts for almost 50 years. And that club closed, but uh, this owner, who's part of the leadership team, is bringing those brand values of the integration of arts and culture for people of color, mm-hmm. communities of color, because this is an economic empowerment business model, into mm-hmm. the retail experience of cool. their new cannabis stores. So they have mm-hmm. live music on a uh, regular basis. They have community events with food trucks in the parking lot. And they bring partner vendors in for product uh, demonstrations and information. And it becomes a community building, total kind of integrated experience. Uh, It contributes to a a significant uh, injection in single day product sales. And it also contributes to um, finding a, you know, producing a way for new customers to be visiting and getting introduced to their unique retail experience. So I think retailers kind of have to look at what are the ways that they can create a more end-to-end experience for Mm -hmm. each visit for every customer that correlates to what their brand messaging uh, stands for and what they're trying to convey. It's, you know, I think we're heading, the, the industry is heading very quickly towards, you know, almost like a traditional CPG model, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And so what what do food and beverage brands do, right? What do sure. CPG brands do? Mm-hmm. You know, they have to yeah. distinguish not just on the taste, not a, just on the effect, not just on whether it's a health uh, play in terms of the quality, um, but but also in the experience of, of the consumption. Mm-hmm. Right, create that, that story. Yeah, are, are some of your clients do they have hr problem is it it sounds like is it a, a recruiting a problem do they have problem yeah. training people uh because every time i talk to someone on this show i go like okay i'm gonna have to revise my business plan because i haven't <laughs> taken enough things into account or my strategy of opening my store with orange colors maybe not enough yeah I think it's a, that is, that's a very good question yeah i mean i think all of these retailers are challenged i, I you know a lot of the clients we've worked with because of the competitive employment environment in Massachusetts are all paying above the new minimum wage rate anyway, mm-hmm. like 17 bucks an hour. Right. So if you think about it, for a college student that's got an MIT tuition bill, you know, $17 an hour college student part-time jobs are not easy to find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it depends on what market you're in as to whether there's a challenge to finding qualified 
uh, personnel in in Massachusetts and in particularly in the metro Boston area. Uh, my experience is, is that the cannabis retailers are not having a problem uh, getting good personnel. Oh, great. Um, for then, the it's most a part. then it's a challenge of training and mm-hmm. training and more training. Re- yeah, recruitment is one issue. Retention is another. Look, you, you know, oh, you, can, okay. you know, you can bring in qualified people, but you know, by the nature of the business, right? Um, are they going to be punctual? Are they going to be professional? Yeah. Are they yeah. going to learn about the products and convey that knowledge in the right kind of interaction? Um, so retention is another issue. But but I, if I could just touch quickly too on the point, Dave, you were making about you know planning and business plans and going beyond the colors of the brand. One thing that's been missing that we have found as a big opportunity with our business, and that's uh, across the value chain, is that it's missing a lot of the uh, traditional uh, standard operating procedures that um, are required of any industry that's as um, dynamic as the cannabis industry is and is getting. And I think that groups like us that come from 25 or 30 years of management consulting experience, helping innovators in other industries stand up their businesses can offer that kind of expertise. And I think that um, a lot of the cannabis companies are now realizing the value of strategic planning. And that includes strategic planning around the whole life cycle of the customer experience. So looking at your retail operation, planning out from when they arrive in the parking lot or even before that, how they're engaging in the marketing facilitation, whether it's online or it's a billboard or it's an event in the community. You know, mapping out from the get-go, the the end-to-end touch point life cycle of how your customer becomes aware of your business understands the distinctions between your retail store and competitors and then every touch point from the at the moment that they arrive in the parking lot through to the follow up after their visit and the ongoing engagement through you know email marketing a good inf- inf- informative or tech space yeah, so whatever yeah special events whatever it may right. be mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Art. Um, you know, I think so many, and, and this goes beyond just the cannabis business, but I think, um, you know, from a retail perspective, they're, they're not really thinking about, you know, what, what does that journey look like, right? And that's incredibly important. Um, you know, as someone that ran a digital marketing company, um, it's kind of in my, in, in my blood, but um, there's a lot of companies out there that don't realize that it doesn't just start when they walk in the door. It starts before that, right? Yeah, it's I mean, too late by the time they walk in the door. Like, yeah, yeah you're right. The ship has sailed when they're when they're in your store if, if yeah. they haven't gotten it all together. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if it isn't, if it isn't a fully connected loop, right? Uh, you know, you could set up the brand promise in advance of the first visit really well. Mm-hmm. So there's an expectation that's built in. That's a good point. Yeah. And then they get to the store and their questions aren't answered and they're more puzzled about what product's going to work for them. Or they wait too long in the queue line and the yeah. security mm-hmm. guy and the security yeah. guy, because it's a contracted security company, 
not a direct employer of the dispensary, has got an attitude that day. I mean, there's all these disconnects that can happen if the company isn't managing everybody, their employees and their contractors to support that brand touchpoint sequence. And the only way to, to be able to manage all of that is to start with the right plan. So now I'm feeling guilty. You're a management consultant. We haven't even talked about management <laughs> structure and what kind of, you know, kind of skill sets you need to grow because it's easy to have one dispensary. Having 10 is a whole another world. Um, but we don't have too much time left. But let me just throw that out at you. Like, and quickly, what what would be the the sort of the skill sets that a company should be thinking about that you see to bring in and, and what tends to be missing in these skill sets? As opposed yep. to someone, I have passion for this industry. That seems right. to be what I hear mostly. <laughs> well, I mean, passion's important, obviously. Because obviously, pa yes. is pa If passion is authentic, right? I mean, after all, a good brand, um, when it really sticks, it's because it's been personified through the people that are behind the, the creation of the brand. And that becomes an osmotic experience on the part of the customer at every touch point. So, you know, mm -hmm. passion, you can't, you know, let's not underestimate the importance of passion, but passion without a plan and expertise is just passion uh, that's not going to go anywhere. Yep. Um, I think the skills that they need is, you know, you need to have somebody who understands operations and it doesn't have to necessarily be retail operations, but it has to be operations in which there is a life cycle sequence to running the business, both on the operational side and on the customer interaction side, okay? Mm -hmm. The second yep. thing is you do, need, you do need an IT expert because the technology is changing quickly in this business. There's, there's some terrific innovators um, who have come into this space, uh, many of them with long histories of being successful in other industries that are retrofitting their applications uh, for every aspect of uh, operations in the cannabis industry on the growth end, right? On the ag science end, on the seed management and genetics end, as well as on the retail and um, distribution and everything else in between. So you need IT expertise. I think you also have to have somebody that, that understands the nuances and the dynamics of supply chain management. Because I'll tell you in Massachusetts, one of the challenges has been that the uh, consumer demand has um, uh, evolved uh, so quickly, it's gotten way ahead of the installed uh, production capacity in the state. And the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission is trying to um, help correct that imbalance. In other words, we've got way too many cannabis customers uh, demanding all kinds of product that the local retailers do not have enough supply to serve. And that's getting corrected. Yeah, that's but a chronic thing. Yeah, for sure. It's a chronic thing. But even when it does get corrected and it gets balanced out, you know, you're still going to need to have expertise around someone at, in the company that knows how to work with, develop good um, mutual relationships with your suppliers, knows right. how to negotiate, knows how to deliver value so that it's a win-win relationship because supplier yeah. relationships are going to increasingly be critical mm -hmm. to the competitiveness of 
retailers and their in a, and their ability to maintain customer loyalty. Well, Art, I'm going to have to jump in there. I know you have tons more. There's probably a few more players we're missing, but um, we're going to have to jump in here. I've been talking to Art um uh management consulting firm uh if you want to learn more www.bringchangenow.com that's bringchangenow.com which is kind of a cool name um uh-huh. art that was really interesting thanks very much a lot to uh, think about we're yeah gonna thanks have you back thanks, on the show and we're going to just pick it up where we left off thanks guys great to great to be here This is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash. that is that's our show for today um we've had laura bradley from behind the bend and which i think is behind uh her cannabis dispensary the bend uh took me a while to figure that out but by the end of it i had and art stewart from strategic impact partners so uh thoughts let's start with uh with laura this idea of cannabis lounges and how that you know how that will um what the future holds for them and uh, is that going to be actually the golden goose for retail well Um, i think i i honestly think um she's on the right track um i think you know the problem that a lot of people have is how do i buy how do i consume and uh, you know she seems to like hit all the right notes um so i think you know for her um and her business i think um they're like on the right track for sure yes and so like it's so much in cannabis great ideas meet uh great regulation and law and prohibition so there's there while in some states California, so on. It, it's it's viable, uh, large scale, maybe not so much in other places. So uh, before you open up your lounge, know what you're doing uh, before you invest yeah, a ton of money. Sure. But yeah. having said that, it's a pretty you know when you turn your mind to it. Yeah, I can go get my cannabis, but that's not the most important. Not that you know where where I buy my alcohol. There's it's it's a business, obviously, but is it the most lucrative side of it? making the alcohol and where you consume it is where the money is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's um, I never really reflected on it, but if you add in music and uh, what, events and, and food and hanging out with your friends and late night and weekends, and, and it might be, you know, a blended thing too. I thought, you know, like I'm, okay, it's two in the afternoon. I probably I'm, don't really need a lounge desperately. 
But, you know, uh, Sunday afternoon, I want to watch football. Maybe I do. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And Planet, we interviewed Planet 13. Um, they're in Vegas. Uh, and the second one, I believe, was in uh, California. And uh, they're, they're definitely on that track, which is trying to make it an entertainment um, destination. That is, that is uh, where cannabis is just part of it. And mm-hmm. maybe not even the most important part of it. Yeah. Just part of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Vegas being a unique location, maybe, but uh, they certainly have a vision. And, uh, and, and Art Stewart, who, uh, wow, raised a lot of it, 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 the complexity of it, the, the challenges of the retail, but also the opportunity that's there for people to do it right. That's what I yep. thought of. Um, and, the, and the challenge of doing that uh, from, from the right business plan, which is you know, not atypical for a consultant to tell us. Uh, the, you know, the business case, the business plan, but then, you know, all the way through to what happens when that individual walks in the store, that magic moment. Yeah. And and I think, I think that's kind of the, uh, the big deal for me is, okay. So you get someone to your store. Now what, you know, how do you educate them? How do you bring them along? Um, so, you know, that's like an important part for me. Yeah, I th- you know, as we talk to people on this show, I, I think people, I don't want to insult anyone, but lip service is paid to that. Yep. But I don't know how often uh, the experience at the dispensary is much more than this is what my store looks like. And, and order something and then leave and mm-hmm. let someone else order something. And hopefully that happens a lot so I can make yeah. some money. Yep. But the bigger picture is hard to actually make it happen. Uh, and it's expensive, <laughs> yep. which is the worst part of it. Because uh, <laughs> the Planet 13 experience does not come cheap. No. You know, you had 10,000 square feet of lights and music and product and you know it's organized chaos or or even creating a a lounge with food and maybe a dispensary there and different areas designated areas uh, and policing that and making it pleasant Mm -hmm. um but like you know if it was easy you know sure uh but maybe cannabis has gotten to the point where the easy stuff is done and we're getting more to okay. We're like, as Art said, it's a real business. Now. It's it's no different. Yeah. Than if you're selling, I don't know, socks and t-shirts on some level, maybe a little different. <laughs> maybe a little different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye. Always a bittersweet moment for us. Um, don't despair. We will be back. So that's the sweet part. But we do need to. Uh, let you get on with your day or night, depending on, I guess, where you're, where you're listening to this. Um, and, uh, and don't despair if you miss a, uh, an episode, um, even though there's really no uh, good reason to do that. But um, all's forgiven. And besides, all the previous shows are uh, accessible through the uh, Hayes Radio website. And they're also available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, uh, Google Play. 
all the usual suspects. Thanks again to our sponsors, uh, Cash Tech Currency Products. They're the ones who keep all that cash you're making uh, counted, sorted, and safe. This is David Sky with Matt Cook. And this is 